This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, I'm Gavin St. James, the junior producer of What the Hell Were You Thinking? It's October, that can only mean one thing. The drunk idiot is going to tell you a bunch of lurid tales about murder and ghosts because he thinks they are scary. I'll tell you what's scary, working with that man. Terrifying. So without further ado, I present to you Spooktacular 2021. The only thing scarier is real life. I don't know, Gavin, how can I not like children? They wear weird clothes, they smell funny, and they're always looking at you and asking questions. I guess they just remind me of you. Yes. The following podcast contains... Oh, oh what the f*** did you do that for? Hey! That was... Don't swear. What are we? We're we we not swear. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When your kids started seeing dead people and you thought it was cute, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 335, Them Creepy Ass Kids edition of the show, where we talk about kids who see ghosts and shit and then get totally freaked out by the whole thing. Us, not the kids. It's part of Spooktacular 2021, so stay tuned. The What the Hell We Thinking podcast is brought to you by the Tangina Barron's Housekeeping Services. Tangina knows that finding the right household help is hard, particularly when so many housekeepers get freaked out by blood exploding from the toilet. That's why Tangina Barron's Housekeeping Services employs only trained, certified psychic mediums and exorcists. We clean your house physically and spiritually. So whether your mess is big or small, poltergeist or focused, non-terminal repeating phantasm, or a class 5 full roaming vapor, Tangina's professionals will clean them up, even the really nasty ones. So when you look for professional housekeeping and spiritual purification, look no further than Tangina Barons, and you'll finally be able to say, This house is clean. I got a question. Why don't white people just leave a house when there's a ghost in the house? Y'all stay in the house too fucking long. Get the fuck out of the house. Very simple. It's a ghost in the house. Get the fuck out. And not only did they stay in the motherfucking house and pull the guys, they invited more white people over. Sitting around going, I'll throw to Carol Ann's on the television set. I would have been gone. If I had a daughter been down the priest and said, look, man, um, I went home and my fucking daughter's in the TV set and shit, so I just fucking left. You can have all that shit. I ain't going to back back to the motherfucker. Uh, I just came down, so when she ain't up at school, you th- don't think I killed the bitch or nothing like that. But she is inside the TV set. You can have all that shit. Fuck it. Uh, Mr. Murphy, didn't you try to save your daughter? Yeah, I'm a man. I tried to save. I turned the channel. The shit didn't work. I got the fuck out. Lee, the kid was only six years old in the movie. They couldn't have been too attached to her. Lee, in the Amityville Horror, the ghost told them to get out the house. White people stayed in there. Now that's a hint and a half for your ass. A ghost say get the fuck out, I would just tip the fuck out the door. Do a 
walked and looked in the toilet bowl, was blood in the toilet. I said, that's peculiar. I would have been in the house and said, oh, baby, this is beautiful. We got a chandelier hanging up here, kids outside playing. It's a beautiful neighborhood. We ain't got nothing to wear. I really love them. This is really nice. Too bad we can't stay, baby. As a kid, my family was not a spooky family. You know, the spooky family, the one that got way into Halloween. Lots of lawn decorations. Every member of the family had their own jack-o'-lantern. And every Halloween night, the dad was always the dad, puts on a big scare show on the carport or front porch complete with soundtrack and skeletons that fly across on the wire and scare the shit out of trick-or-treater. That kind of family? Oh, yeah, yeah, those people. I always wanted to be part of that kind of family. It looked like fun. But, of course, as I grew older, I came to understand that whenever you're putting that much effort into appearing fun and normal, there is some dark and scary shit going on behind closed doors. The kind of dark and scary shit that if you're lucky ends in divorce instead of an indictment for kid diddling, and that's a win for everyone. No, in the Bledsoe household, there was only the one ghost. The Holy Ghost. If you grew up in a more mainstream religion, you probably think of the Holy Ghost as the third wheel of the Trinity, this unnecessary add-on that is only being mentioned because of tradition, and I am still not sure exactly what the Holy Ghost does in, say, Catholicism. He seems to be like God's goon running around impregnating virgins and smiting the faithful, but I could be wrong. In the Southern Baptist Church of the 1970s, the Holy Ghost was very real because it was the Holy Ghost that got people all fired up in church. My father is mild a man who has ever drawn a breath, who won't dance, so don't ask him, who rarely raised his voice to his children, who could be as stoic as a statue in the face of adversity, metamorphosed into something unrecognizable. When the Holy Ghost got to him, he would start shouting, then he would start crying, and then he would stand up and begin to, well, he'd begin to shimmy and shake rhythmically. I don't know that it can probably be called dancing, but it was something like dancing. And then, and then he would go up and down the aisles of the church, waving his Bible in the air, hugging people, sweat dripping off his face, and soon enough, a bunch of other boring-ass white dudes would be up doing the same damn thing, and as a child... It was entirely fascinating to watch this happen, but also... But also, the scariest thing I've ever seen. Even today, as I think about it, I'm still more than a little freaked out by the whole thing. You have your ghost stories, I have mine, and mine are fucking scarier. Still, if you're looking for scary stories, there's a rich vein of spooky-ass shit on Reddit where parents share stories about their kids seeing what the parents believe are ghosts. How scientific. Well, in a way it is. I mean, before I get into the spooky stories, I'm going to take a second to talk about why kids seeing ghosts are such a thing and why the stories are creepier than your run-of-the-mill ghost stories. First of all, kids are fucking scary. What's scary about kids? Dude, have you ever really paid attention to how creepy kids are? They're all the time staring at you. You're sitting there minding your own business, reading Twitter on your phone, when you feel someone staring at you and you look a cup across the room and some four-year-old is just eyeball-fucking you. What are you staring at, kid? Mind your own fucking business, you creepy little fucking stop looking at me. Sorry, I, I, I just don't like kids very much. 
In a Washington Post article from 2019, quote, there are admittedly lots of reports of kids seeing ghosts, says Jacqueline D. Woolley, a psychology professor at the University of Texas. Woolley's research dives deep into children's evaluation and understanding of reality, reality versus the fantastical. She revels in my tale about the girl on the stairs. That's enough to make you believe that it's real for about a millisecond, she says. The article goes on to discuss all the reasons why children are prone to paranormal encounters, largely centered around how the children's brains obtain, process, and retain information, the vivid nature of childhood imaginations, and the propensity of adult humans' brains to fill in the gaps to arrive at conclusions rather than analyze each piece of information objectively. The article suggests that parents just roll with these little episodes and not worry about them too much. Quote, Child psychiatrist Jim B. Tucker is balancing science and the paranormal at the Division of Perceptual Studies at the University of Virginia. We'll uh, be hearing more from Dr. Tucker shortly. We don't take the approach of believer or non-believer. We research and explore the phenomenon of children who report past lives, he says. Overlapping often are reports of kids who see dead relatives, including some who were dead long before the child was born. When you hear enough stories like that, you do start to think that there must be something there, Tucker says. I'm open to it. That's all I can say. Whether you believe or not, his best advice is to be cool. I don't know if you really have to do anything other than listen to what your child says. Kids grow up and grow out of it and let it go, unquote. That is, of course, the rational and scientific side of the phenomenon. But paranormal experts have a different view on things. Oh, sure they do. According to Thought Catalog, quote, children function at a higher level of consciousness than their adult counterparts. At an expanded level of consciousness, it is one that is closer to God consciousness, closer to the divine and to the spiritual realm. Over time, as they age, their consciousness will contract and many of them will lose these abilities and gifts due to societal programming and trauma. Children are good mediums because their purity of energy and benevolent energies from the other side, angels, particularly from those who may have been close to you on earth, may try to communicate with you through them. Children resonate near the angelic realm, which is associated with energies such as love, joy, peace, and bliss. Lower level energies do exist but they are typically a mismatch for the high frequency in which children resonate. As I often say, it is less important to be frightened by evil or negative spirits, but to be aware of the negative energies that exist on the physical plane in humans who walk amongst us with contracted levels of consciousness. Great. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Like I said, I never seen a ghost unless you count that one time I ran into my ex with her husband and kids and Saw the ghost of what might have been. Hey, somebody needs a hug. But I did have a couple of cousins who said they saw something. I'll call them Jay and Jay as they were identical twins and both of them talked about seeing the buddy man when they were three or four years old. And everyone thought the buddy man was just their imaginary friend until one of my aunts started asking them what the buddy man looked like. And that's when we learned... They weren't saying buddy, they were saying bloody man. Because the man they described, a tall man whose face was covered in blood, who lived in their house with them, met the description of someone 
who used to live there years before who had been shot in the back of the head in the late 60s because he was fucking someone else's wife. This was enough to freak out my aunt, their mom, to the point where she moved a few months later and the bloody man was never seen again. Like I said, I never saw any of this and I only heard about it from my aunt, who, keep in mind, collaborated with my own mother to convince me that I had an older brother, Fred, who was a bad kid and constantly misbehaving, so they left him in the Smoky Mountains with the bears. So you gotta take anything they say with a giant grain of salt. This should also apply to every story I'm about to tell after this point because I gather them from many different threads on Reddit, which fucking loves these stories. They're included here because I found them creepy, not because I found them particularly plausible. Redditor Bonjour Levance wrote, quote, When I was growing up, I lived in a small bungalow with my parents. My room was directly beside my parents' room. I had a fish tank with a light and used this as a sleep aid. The dim light of the tank and the bubbling sound of the filter put me at ease. One night I woke up and saw the outline of a man wearing a trench coat and top hat standing beside my bed looking at me. Naturally, I screamed as loud as I could and my parents came running into the room and turned on the light and the man was gone. They comforted me back to sleep and that's all I remember about that. Fast forward three to four years. I moved my room to the basement and my parents knocked down the wall to make their room bigger. But they keep their bed in the exact same place. Over the next year, I would wake up to screams from upstairs and hear my mom crying. She would always see the outlines of a man standing in the exact place where I witnessed it before. They even moved their bed in an attempt to put it where the figure would appear to stop it from appearing. It scares me to this day thinking about that house and I'm glad I am nowhere near it, unquote. Just Just a thought here. If you are seeing a strange, shadowy, spectral figure appearing in your bedroom and you move your bed to the exact spot where that strange, shadowy, spectral figure continues to appear, is that really the best way to deal with a manifestation? I ask merely for information. Another from Redditor Jack Kiger, quote, When we bought our current house, my daughter was five. In our previous house, she'd wake up in the middle of the night and she'd built a pile of blankets and her pillows in our room and wake up in her nest. In the new house, she started building piles in her own room, but she'd wake up on her stripped bed. When asked, she insisted that the nest was for her friend Rose. She had actually had an imaginary friend named Dee Dee, so a new one didn't surprise us much. She would tell us about Rose waking her up at night and wanting to rest so she'd build a nest for her on the floor and go back to bed. Years later, and a sweet old neighbor, niece of the cattle rancher who'd built the house at the turn of the century, told us about his first wife who died in the house of sepsis poisoning. Her name was Rose. Rose is a nice name. Rose was mother's middle name. User 1030704 wrote, quote, When I was very young, Maybe three at most. Before I had any siblings, I was alone playing with marbles. Now, I don't want to cast aspersion here, but I uh, right off the bat, there's something not believable about this because anyone using Reddit is way too young to have played with marbles as a child. 
and particularly as a three to four year old child because marbles have been classified as a choking hazard since before I was a kid in the 1970s. Continuing, I was rolling them back and forth on the floor and my favorite marble rolled under the couch. I reached my hand under the couch to try and find it, but couldn't. A moment after I pulled my hand back, a hand reached out from under the couch where mine had just been. Thank you, Tim. Groping around as if trying to find me was aged, wrinkly, very dark-skinned. It groped around and then pulled back beneath the couch, then re-emerged, pushing some bits of plastic wrappers with it. I sat there watching from a safe distance, not exactly scared, but aware that this was something that should not be happening. The hand waited by the trash for a moment, and then I remember thinking, the trash is bait. It just wants me to try and take it so it can reach me. Then the hand pulled back beneath the couch and reappeared, pushing it with more trash. I distinctly remember a yellow package for big pins with that little logo of a man they have as one of the pieces of trash the hand offered. Then, when I didn't make any move to take the trash, the hand gathered it all up and sheeted back beneath the couch. I sat there for a moment, waiting for something else to happen, and when nothing did, I got up and went and found my mom. My mom gave me a confused look and assured me that uh, there was definitely no hand beneath the couch. She walked back into the living room with me and stuck her own hand under the couch to prove there was nothing there to be afraid of. This worried me very much. And when my dad came home from work that evening, he lifted the couch up for me and I was able to retrieve my lost marble along with several others I hadn't known I'd lost. The trash the hand had offered me did not seem to be underneath the couch. Oddly. Unquote. Or how about Quagmire DP who tells us, quote, while changing my daughter in front of the open closet door, she kept looking around me and laughing. I asked her what was so funny. She said, the man. To which I replied, what man? She then pointed at the closet and said, the man with the snake neck. I turned around and nothing there when there was nothing there. I was afraid to look into the history of my house to see if anyone had hung themselves in the closet. But at least she wasn't scared. Unquote. Now, I don't know about any of these stories. I more or less plucked them randomly from the threads based on nothing more than a very subjective spookiness. They're pure supernatural occurrences. They can't be proven or validated. And honestly, you shouldn't really trust these kind of antidotes because people will just flat out fucking lie to you about seeing ghosts or make up stories about ghost settings just to entertain you. Like, you know... Remember when I told you a few minutes ago that my cousins about my cousins and the buddy man? That shit never happened. I made it up about 90 seconds before I wrote it down over my morning coffee. My two little cousins never saw shit. Aren't you just a big fat liar? I am indeed. Now, sometimes, however, the kids aren't seeing ghosts, but they are seeing dead people. Unless you think this is just some crazy shit people say on the internet. Which it is. It's enough of a thing for a reputable scientist by the name of Dr. Jim Tucker, MD, told you he'd be coming back from the University of Virginia Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Sciences Division of Perceptual Studies to study entirely seriously and write a book in 2005 called Before Life, a scientific investigation of children's memories of previous lives and before 
and Children's Memories of Previous Lives, which came out in 2021. Dr. Tucker's UVA website has this to say on the matter, quote, some young children, usually between the ages of two and five, speak about memories of a previous life they claim to have lived. At the same time, they often show behaviors such as phobias or preferences that are unusual with the context of their particular family and cannot be explained by any current life events. These memories appear to be concordant with the child's statements about a previous life. In many cases of this type, the child's statements have been shown to correspond accurately to facts in the life and death of a deceased person. Some of the children have birthmarks and birth defects that correspond to wounds or other marks on the deceased person whose life is being remembered by the child. In numerous cases, post-mortem reports have confirmed these correspondences. Older children may obtain these apparent memories, but generally they seem to fade around the age of seven. Young subjects of these cases have been found all over the world, including Europe and North America. Are you fucking serious right now? I'm not serious, but Dr. Tucker certainly is. Dr. Tucker presents some pretty compelling evidence that some children are accurately reporting the details of a person's life that they could not possibly know. This is Dr. Tucker being interviewed on a podcast or a video thing called Friendly Fire. Yeah, these are cases, it's not hypnosis or anything like that, but just spontaneously these kids start talking at a very early age. A lot of our cases were ones that Ian Stevenson um, investigated years ago, um, particularly in Asia. So one is a little girl named Kumkum Verma in India who said that she had lived in a city that was 25 miles away and not just that she lived in the city but named the district where she lived. Um, her aunt wrote down a lot of what she was saying which included a lot of details like son's name, grandson's name, how the, uh, what the son did for work town where the father lived, a lot of other personal details, and then eventually um, a friend of the father's went to that district and found that in fact all the statements the girl had said were accurate. In his lectures and in his books, Dr. Tucker discusses a young boy by the name of Ryan who became a bit of a phenom in the news when all this came out, who at five years old began talking about a life in Hollywood. The boy's family contacted Tucker with the details of his memories and Tucker investigated and managed to determine that a photo that Ryan identified as himself in a previous life was a man by the name of Marty Martin, who after bombing as an actor became a moderately successful Hollywood agent in the 30s and 40s. All told, the boy Ryan was able to provide over 50 verifiable facts about the life of Marty Martin, there was simply no way Ryan or any of his family could possibly know. Martin didn't have an IMDb page on the internet prior to the news of this case breaking in 2018 and was only identified after deep digs into the Academy of Motion Picture Archives. And this is only one of the Tucker cases with extensive research and details of a young child remembering facts that are verifiable. One such case is detailed in a Reader's Digest article, quote, Bruce and Andrea Leninger first realized that James had these memories when he was two 
and woke up from a nightmare yelling airplane crash, plane on fire, little man can't get out. He also knew details about World War II aircraft that would seem impossible for a toddler to know. For example, when Andrea referred to an object at the bottom of a toy plane as a bomb, James corrected her by saying it was a drop tank. Another time, he and his parents were watching a History Channel documentary, and the narrator called the Japanese Zero a plane a Japanese Zero, and James insisted, James at three years old, that it was actually a Tony. Wrong, wrong, wrong. In both of those cases, he was right, right, right. The boy said that he had also been named James in his previous life, and that he'd flown off a ship named the Natoma. The Linagers discovered a World War II aircraft carrier was called the USS Natoma Bay, and in its squadron was a pilot named James Houston, who had been killed over the Pacific, unquote. Dr. Tucker was able to confirm many of the details of the memories, including finding service records for James Houston and how he died on the Natoma. I'll include the full case report by Tucker in the show notes for this show. Then they make a pretty compelling argument for past life memories. As much as I would like to debunk them by saying his parents talked about Houston or inadvertently planted information without realizing what they were doing, the evidence presented by Tucker is disturbingly compelling. All in all, I gotta say... Oh God, this one creeps me out. So, you know, I'm just going to drop a few of these stories about kids remembering past lives collected from the Internet. I took these from RedRanker.com, who called them from all over the Internet. Quote, it first happened when my daughter was almost four years old. She was playing on the floor and I was on the couch. And she said, Mama, I need to tell you something. And I said, OK, or something like it in response. She says, before I was me and before you were my mama, I was burned. I asked her what she meant. And she said, my old mama tried to get me out, but the door was stuck. My skin looked weird. Talk about chills running down your spine. Still gives me goosebumps. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Mm-mm. Fuck this shit, I'm out. No thanks. Don't mind me. I'ma just grab my stuff and leave. Excuse me, please. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Nope. Fuck this shit, I'm out. All right then. I don't know what the fuck just happened, but I don't really care. I'ma get the fuck up out of here. Fuck this shit, I'm out. Sam believed he was his deceased grandfather and repeated things there was no way an infant could have possibly known. At 18 months of age, Sam was speaking in full sentences and shared this chilling exchange with his parents about a sister he couldn't have known existed. Sam was asked if he had any siblings in his past life, and he said he had a sister who turned into a fish. Who turned her into a fish, his parents asked. Some bad guys. She died, he replied. While Sam didn't have any siblings, eerily enough, his grandfather did have a sister. Her body was found in San Francisco Bay after being murdered 60 years prior. How did he know? Or I'll wrap with this little tale by Redditor Helpful Name and their story about a child with whom they were a nanny. Quote, 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of my little ones, two years old and an incredibly smart child, he used to like to tell me things like when we got him ready for bed. It was almost always these weird stories which would start when I was an old lady. And they were always very specific day-in-the-life type of things, which I critically realized went beyond the life experience and typical vocabulary of a two-year-old. Over a few months, he kept adding very consistently to the story. He would also sometimes play as this old lady with a cloth over his head and walking slowly as if his back pained him. Grocery shopping or playing with his sister's dolls as if they were his grandchildren was his favorite when he did this. He added some specific details like how many children he had, four daughters and a son, how many grandchildren, that the husband in his past life died in his 50s, same age as one of his uncles from a lung disease. One of his slash the old lady's daughters had died in her 30s in a car accident leaving two children who she took in took in to help with with the help of another daughter she had a bad back and pain in her feet one of her daughters would rub her feet to help with the pain and all but one of her children was married the unmarried daughter lived with her and she worried that she would never marry and she slash he remembered dying crossing the street and being hit by the car, describing how many people stood around her, where it hurt, and how someone eventually lifted her into a car, no ambulances, and took her to the hospital where she died. Unquote. Unlike the gold stories, I am fascinated with these past life and memories. Not because I believe in past lives so much as I'm open to the, the possibility that energy patterns, that's what we think of our conscious might be, are part of a larger... I don't know, pattern, for lack of a better word. And then in certain circumstances, those patterns might be accessible after the person who created the pattern no longer exists. If you want to call it a soul, that's up to you, but I like to think of it as a recording or a file on a hard drive that slowly degrades over time. But, you know, sometimes maybe it bleeds into another consciousness before that consciousness is fully formed. This is more or less the explanation that Dr. Tucker and his predecessor, Dr. Ian Stevenson, have for a scientifically based idea for these memories. They also use it to explain why those past life memories fade as the child get older. The maturing brain can simply no longer access the collective unconscious like it could when it was undeveloped. I'm not saying this is what happens. I'm just saying it's hypothetically possible. It doesn't break the laws of physics as we understand them. And most of all, that just shit just creeps me the fuck out. And that is the whole point of the Spooktacular 2021. That is it for our show this week. Spooktacular 2021 rolls on with more wild stories and creepy content. Over on Patreon, patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast, 
We have an oh hell no about haunted fucking dolls. So be sure to check that out if you aren't already a member. Just a dollar gets you access to all the creepy shit we're doing for Halloween this year. Rate and review us wherever you get your pods so other can find us. Take a listen and get creeped out by your taste in podcast. All of our disconcerted episodes are at whatthehellpodcast.com and you can find my problematic ramblings on the shows at the hell underscore podcast on Twitter or the show name on Facebook. So for me, Dave, I want to feel the warm spot on your chair, Bledsoe. Producer, I'm not reading this. You, you can't make me read this. I don't care what I'm like. Fine. My precious one, I saved that gum that you threw in the garbage. Gavin and all the fictional little creepy bastards on the show, we want to say, the only question we have now is, do we creep you out? And we all know the answer is yes. God, yes. They're so totally creepy. We get it. We'll see you all next week for the conclusion of Spooktacular 2021. chair sometimes i drool usually i stare my precious one i saved that gum that you threw in the garbage you're the one i dream about but the only question i What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at the hell underscore podcast or on Facebook as what the hell podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. <laughs> <laughs>